This podcast is sponsored by Enriched. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show, then you'll know that I'm not a big fan of Big Pharma. So I do everything I can to try and stay out of their sickness subscription system. And a key component in my daily arsenal is a dose of what I'm calling the White Basement Lion King Super Stack. First, chugga mushroom, known as the king of mushrooms for a reason. Its potent antioxidant, antiviral, immune-supporting properties make it the most studied medicinal mushroom on earth. And although there can be only one king, the king wears a mane, a lion's mane. Brain-boosting, neuron-sharpening, cognition-enhancing, lion's mane is the perfect partner for King Chaga and the second half of the Lion King Super Stack. For me, it's the perfect start to my day helping me to go hard and go home. Go to enriched.co, that's E-N-R-I-C-H-D.co, and use the discount code WHITEBASEMENTPOD to get a 10% discount site-wide. Start your day like a king. Go to Enriched and grab the Lion King Super Stack now. Hey guys, just a quick note, uh, I had some sound problems on this one, my voice is a bit faint, but this was a fantastic conversation, so hopefully um, you'll be able to stick with it. It's like in hypnosis, it, hypnosis or psyche, it's like an altered state where you know that that state is almost more real than your real life. And I can't really explain that, but because you have to experience it, because when you experience it, you know that what you've just heard when this voice said to him, it's not your fault. He knew that that was the truth because it's your superconscious that gives you this information and it finally gets through to you to say, it's not your fault. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the White Basement Podcast. Follow the show on Instagram at White Basement Pod. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And if you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And please do share the show. It helps us to grow. My guest today is Tanya Sperling. I think I said that correctly. <laughs> Tanya studied to be a priest in Germany before moving to the UK and getting into hospitality management, where she became the first and only female night manager of the Savoy Hotel in London. She speaks five languages, is now a life coach, a hypnotherapist, a psych K facilitator, and she has a fantastic story to tell. Tanya, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me here. Thanks for inviting me. Did I did I get the introdu introduction correct? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, you did. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, let me let me kind of introduce this one a little bit more. Um, so, so this podcast I've been doing for a, a year and a bit now, mm -hmm. and it's. I'm kind of on a journey with it. It's changing as it goes from from maybe initially what I thought it would be is is becoming um, just like an experience in allowing the universe to connect me to people that I should connect to at the time that I should connect to them. So, mm -hmm. you know, I've had people in who I I had no clue that I would want to talk to people about these these kinds of subjects. And so um, we connected via your partner, David Soames, who, um, if you guys want to see that episode, if you're watching on YouTube, it will be 
here. There'll be a link. And if you're listening somewhere, then I'll put a link in the in the show notes. And so Tom, whose studio it is, introduced us and said, um, look, this guy David's really interested, um, interesting guy, and I, I can ask him if he wants to come on the podcast. This is what he's done. And I said, yeah, cool, that'd be great. And then, you know, I was, I was looking through at his uh, kind of CV and work. And like we, we said before, before we started recording, I'm not like a super, super music person. I mean, I, I love music, but I'm, I'm no expert. And I was thinking, how do I, how do I kind of link that conversation to the, the stuff I normally talk about? Because a lot of it is martial arts and jiu-jitsu, and a lot of it is a little bit esoteric, spiritual stuff you know woo-woo kinds of subjects and I was you know I was, I was looking at the music and listening to interviews and, and stuff that he's done before and I was kind of struggling a bit to think like how am I going to connect this up and then I sat down with my wife the day before we were going to uh, record and she found me a uh, I can't remember if it was a video, like a little mini documentary or something like that about Time the Musical. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I started actually looking at it, I was like, oh, this is like exactly my stuff. <laughs> like, you know, without even even knowing, I'm like, yeah, this is this is really cool. And and so that that was sort of the connection um, for me to the work that he did. And also that that kind of I, I i i would still say prophetic song that he wrote even though he wrote it for the musical kind of for cliff richard mm -hmm. that it turned out to be kind of a freddie mercury song mm -hmm. you know without mm -hmm. even even knowing yeah and so i didn't i didn't again realize at the time that we were recording because you were obviously sitting here in the studio while we mm -hmm. were while we were talking yeah. and listening back and, and editing the podcast because obviously you're in shot so mm -hmm. now I, now I, I noticed oh you're kind of a ah, little nod a little <laughs> smile ah, and I was like yeah okay I see you were kind of uh, observing what, what, mm -hmm. what was going on yeah um so yeah, this is this has been my my kind of experience so far is is just connecting with people just without really trying to connect with them just just through letting things flow. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe maybe give 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 me and everybody else a little bit of background as to how you got up to um, getting into being a therapist and the hypnosis and the psych k because you did a lot of stuff before that mm -hmm. so how was the how, how did that journey to get there happen <laughs> well it's it's difficult probably to do that as in a short version we've got um, plenty of time <laughs> cool because um i think it really all started already in childhood in a sense uh without me really knowing in childhood um I was a very believing person. I always prayed, and even though my family was not religious at all, and I don't know where that came from. I just had the experience that whenever I prayed, all my prayers have always been answered. Answered. So I always got that positive response. And um, I also had this kind of vision in already when I was a child that this place is kind of a dark place and I felt like well you know if I can hold a candle and if, if I can give someone else a candle and sh share my light with them then we'll have twice the light and the 
place is already twice as bright. So that's something that I had already when I was 10 years old or something. And um, can, you, can you remember, did you, do you have an experience that you remember that was the first time that that came to you or no? Not really. I just know that already in childhood I had a lot of adults enjoying talking with me. So I, I, have, I had this experience that people kind of like to share their problems with me. And I was just the one listening and I was the one, I don't know if I could have given any great answers. I mean, I would doubt it from today's perspective, but I know it was all because I was an only child. My parents took me with them wherever they went. Uh, we went to, they went to parties and I would sit there talking to adults. And then when I was a child and um, I, I just think I've become a very good listener over time and I love listening. And um, I've also been interested in esoteric things, like from when I was a teenager. So I started reading books on anything esoteric, like Life After Death, or uh, we have in German, there's a book called um, Illness as the Language of the Soul, stuff like that, where illness has like a meaning, when it, and you understand it as something that is meaningful, not just something that doesn't function. And so that's been with me all my life, really. And um, obviously, I started life out after school with uh, an apprenticeship and studying. I did an apprenticeship with Lufthansa to become an airline industry manager. I studied economics. Um, when I finished that, I thought, well, let's study what I want to study, which was philosophy and history, because I thought you have to understand the past to, to know what's happening in the present to then create a future. That was my philosophy at the time. And um, for some reason or other, during that same time, I also came into touch with a church in Germany. It's called the Christian Community. And um, I was yeah, very involved with them at the time, which, ended, which brought me eventually to the priest seminary, as you mentioned. And um, again, I didn't become a priest because I then couldn't really identify anymore with the organizational side of things. So the spiritual side, very much so, yes. But not, you know, like with any organization these days, um, that's always where mankind and man's issues come and join. And so that's, that's what stopped me from becoming a priest. Mm, but then I came to England and I wanted to stay in the uh, travel industry because that's where my um, experience was. But I moved into hospitality because I used to handle aircrafts and I thought, well, they don't kind of give me a lot of interaction you know, with people. And after having studied two years at the priest seminary and really my head was so overloaded, I needed some time to just really relax and apply what I'd learned. That was my intention. So I went into hospitality, applied as a receptionist and very quickly became the night manager first in the Radisson SAS Portman Hotel. And from then on, after two years, I went to the Savoy, as you mentioned, until it closed two years later. And then I went to the Jumeirah Carlton Tower, where I was for, I think, 12 years or something, also the night manager. And that allowed me yeah, to apply lots of the things that I'd learned at the priest seminary. Because my intention, or why I wanted to become a priest, uh, was because I thought there are so many people who don't have anyone to speak to. Nobody listens to anybody anymore. And my first intention was to, to lend that listening ear to people and not even to give answers, but maybe to, um, yeah, just first of all, pay attention to that other person, you know, and maybe give um, food for thought, because that's maybe what I thought I can offer. And that has happened a lot, because when you work at nighttime in a hotel, it's a very different animal than if you're there during the daytime. You work with people who are in a different state of mind and you um, deal with customers who are in a different state of mind. And I had the most interesting experiences there, also with colleagues. 
And eventually it was one colleague who then said to me, because I, I love coaching, so I, I'd, I'd always share anything that I know or any kind of tips and tricks or how to do things better or easier or quicker, whatever. I would share that with my colleagues, not just about you know the, the hotel industry. And it was one colleague who then said to me, you know, Tanya, you're wasted here at nights. You have to go out and you have to help, help other people. And I was like, well, well, I don't know how because, you know, um, church didn't work out and I don't know what to do. But then I had, a, again, a customer as well at the hotel who checked in. I that one I remember clearly. Um, he checked in and his credit card didn't work. And, you know, you have policies and you have to follow them. And it was such a disaster in a sense, but he stayed totally calm. He just called his company, then called the bank. And uh, even though I said, well, you know, listen, we can just use another credit card or I can check you in like this. And he said, no, no, I understand your policies and don't you worry, this is not your issue. This is a problem with my company. And I just thought, my goodness, how can you stay so calm after a long day of traveling from the US and now spending like over an hour on the phone? And I, I got into talking with him and he told me that he was a coach. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. You know, you can help people by listening and asking the right questions and help people to find their, their own answers within them. I really love that concept of coaching. So that's when I then um, trained to become a coach. That was in 2015 here in England. Brilliant, brilliant coaching training that I received from a um, from a training company here. And um, how, how did you choose the coaching company? Um, well, um, Coaching Development, which is the company, they had trained one of our um, HR people, the learning and development manager. And I'd asked her and she said, well, they were really good. Because I looked obviously also online, there were because there's so many offers uh, for coaching, and obviously you can train to become a coach. You can get a license for thirty-seven pounds if you have on uh, some of the Facebook ads. This one was obviously far more expensive, but it's a professional company, and you get really professional training. And it's really it's not about giving anybody any answers. It's not about teaching you how to do this, that, or the other. The type of coaching that I learned is really is deep listening on all levels, and actually eliciting, helping you to elicit the answer within yourself. Because everybody has their answers hidden within themselves. It's just, you know, our mind, our thinking, our experiences that stand in the way. And as a coach, it's my job to really kind of help you to go down there where you find the answer. Mm. And so that was really cool. And that's what I did for a year. And um, while I was working as a coach, I then came across hypnotherapy which I thought I would never ever in, in my life let anybody hypnotize me. So I was also typical, like, nope, nobody's going to get into my head at all. But um, it so happened that this woman who um, was um, advertising her um, hypnotherapy school, she was doing like an online version. I thought, well, I can listen to it. And if I don't like it, I'll just switch it off, right? And she was doing like a group hypnosis. And in that hypnosis, which was more like a meditation, really, I had a phenomenal experience where I really connected with a childhood memory. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is something that I'd never thought of for 30, 40 years. And this comes up. And how can I, you know, get in touch with that? And so I very quickly realized that hypnosis is uh, a much faster way to help you to change your mindset, to kind of really understand where, where the roots for your beliefs lie. And I learned a lot about uh, why do we have certain beliefs? Why do we create beliefs? And what are they really? And how does the human 
mind work in, in our childhood when we really just really absorb and we, we become who we are by imitating the people around us. We take on their beliefs, we take on their behaviors, and they give us like a like a form, you know, that this is who we are. And then we just live like that for the rest of our life. And we never even question why we are. We just maybe, I would get, for example, upset when people say, oh, you're just like your father. I'm like, yes, I know, but I don't want to be like him. But this is so typical because we, we learn behaviors, because we see them as children, and this is what we take on as well. This is how it's done. And so um, that was the phase when I realized, wow, so much of me really isn't me. And um, But who am I? That's the next question that came up. And um, well, then obviously came the journey um, of first my partner and then me having cancer. And as I said, I mean, I've always believed that cancer has a message. So I took that time to really dig deep and understand, you know, whose belief is it really that I exhibit that actually creates that amount of stress on my body that it can't stay healthy. Um, that was an interesting journey. And just at the end of it, I mean, not at the end, but a bit later now is when I found Psyche, which is the latest modality that I also offer, which in brief basically does the same thing as hypnotherapy does, but it does it much faster far more effectively and you can change beliefs and you can um, create your own mindset that you really want to have. You can really become that liberated and empowered to really be the person who you want to be. And obviously for many people, I mean, even for myself in the past, I would have said, well, I am who I am. What are you saying? You can be who you want to be. But once you become ill and you realize that for me, for example, to give you an example, um, I have lived all my life always being busy. When I was young, I always had three jobs. Uh, and then I worked night shifts for over 16 years. And you know when you work, or when you're German, or when I am German, I don't work the 12 hours. I work until the, there's no more customers. So the 12 hours always ended up being more than 12 hours. And uh, then, for example, in the first year when I did hypnotherapy, I did my full-time job as a night manager and I saw 100 clients in my hypnotherapy practice in the days that I was off. So I worked basically every day, uh, which one can say, wow. But on the other hand, one can also say, wow, that's very stressful, isn't it? I mean, you've put a lot of stress on yourself and I have always denied that. I was always, no, this is fine. I'm choosing this. This is what I am. This is who I am. This is great. Until I realized, well... My father always used to say to me, you know, if I went from the living room to the kitchen, why are you not taking those empty glasses? Don't ever go empty-handed. You know, you can always do something. And also, it wasn't really allowed to just be and sit do somewhere and do nothing, because why are you being lazy? You could be doing something. And so out of this, you know, I'm not allowed to do nothing. I have to always do something. It created something of like, I always, I always have to be busy. I always have to do something. And I've always had so many jobs not realizing that actually I wouldn't agree with that opinion. Yeah, if you had somebody who came to you and described that, mm -hmm. you would say, right, we need to get some balance here, right? Absolutely. But, but it's very difficult sometimes to see these things in yourself. Exactly. It's always easy to give other people advice, right? Well, I was telling everybody, you know, that they need to look after themselves and everything. And whenever anybody said, well, but you work night shifts and that's really unhealthy. You know, you work against your own body clock. And I would say, no, it's fine. I'm choosing it. It's brilliant. I'm doing the rotor. You know, I can choose my days off and I can travel whenever I want to because I can have the days off. And then when I'm, when I'm not working, you know, I can sleep easily. Of course I could sleep easily because I was so sleep deprived. My body was yearning for sleep. It didn't take longer than three seconds for me to fall asleep. But that was not because I could sleep easy. It's because I was so sleep deprived and my body was so 
in need of rest time, proper rest time, but I was com I completely ignored that. I was totally um, resistant to that insight when it came from the outside. Yeah. I only learned that once I got ill, once my body couldn't function anymore. Yeah, yeah. One of my one of my favorite little um, sayings is that everybody should meditate for twenty minutes a day, except people who don't have time. They should meditate for forty minutes. <laughs> yes. You know, it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's interesting, you know, that that, um, the, 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 that kind of concept of um, you should always be doing something, never doing nothing. Mm -hmm. But doing nothing is doing something. Absolutely. It's choosing to do nothing. Absolutely. You know, and, and it's, it's interesting actually because kind of touching a little bit on what I said at the beginning, because I've had, I mean, this is probably like 65, 66, 67th episode that mm -hmm. I've done now. So I've had 60 odd conversations with people and, and lots of people have given me like insights or things to think about, different concepts, different ideas. And um, I had a, I've had a guy on, I've had him on twice, he was on just recently again, who uh, he has a medicinal mushroom uh, company called Enriched. Mm -hmm. um, so the recent episode that I did with him, I'll put a link up here and I'll put it in the show notes. Um but he had a tumor on his shoulder when he was maybe like 17, 18, mm -hmm. something like that. Had a lump, went to the doctor, they said it's cancer. Had a sur most surgery where they cut in and then they cut a little bit more until they get something where mm -hmm. there's no mm -hmm. uh, cancer. But he, um, he, he very quickly kind of approached it as, why did I create this mm -hmm. like what have i been doing yeah. that caused this to come up and one of the things that he talked about actually on the on the first episode so i'll put a link to that one up here um was about yin and yang mm -hmm. so obviously <laughs> yin and yang is like something that everyone knows about yin and yang the black and the white and the dots and the one goes to the other and blah 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 but i i that was the first time that i'd ever really kind of um being a, being able to to grasp it and and understand it in terms of a real kind of um, application to sort of day, daily routine and living, you know, he said that he was he was very fit. He was training a lot. He was doing like a lot of gym work and kickboxing and this, that, and the other. Um, and he ended up in LA and he ended up hanging out with a lot of these uh, medicinal mushroom Chinese doctors and who basically said to him, like, you're completely out of balance. Mm -hmm. you're, everything you're doing is very yang and you need to do more yin stuff, which is sitting down and like, we're going to make tea mm -hmm. and that's going to take three hours. Mm -hmm. and we're going to drink the tea. And we're going to just sit down and think about the tea. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and it was the first thing that I kind of, first time that I really understood, oh yeah, okay. I, I think for myself, um, I am, I try to have a reasonably good balance. But it was the first time that I'd actually been able to really like nail it down. Oh yeah, I see. Like when I'm doing this, this is yin. When mm -hmm. I'm doing that, it's yang. If I do too much of that, that's why I then need some time on my own. I need mm -hmm. to sit down. I need to don't talk to anyone for half a day because I've been talking to people for mm -hmm. a whole day. So yeah, really, really, um, really interesting. And 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 you know, I think it's is often um, a, a common experience that you don't 
address things or take notice of things until you're forced to. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. You know, you just say, well, it's going all right, isn't it? I'll just kind of keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going in the direction I want to go until something happens. And then Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, shit, I didn't. Mm-hmm. didn't really see that coming and then you had to to address that so so how, what was that uh experience how how with the with, with the cancer um how did that come up <laughs> how did it come up that's a good question I, I have to say first of all thank you to my partner who obviously had cancer the year before because the way i uh, discovered the cancer i would have completely and utterly and totally ignored it if he had not just had cancer, he had his operation like two months before I discovered it. I was just, you know, working at the hotel and had to stay during the day before training and during the day because I was working nights. And I was standing in front of the mirror and just, you know, as you do sometimes, you know, just kind of flexing my muscles. And, you know, for a woman, when, when you flex your muscles, the breast goes up. And I was thinking, that's weird, you know, for this one, it was totally normal. And on this one, there was like a dimple, like when, when the breast went up, there was like an indentation. And I was like, that's a bit strange. That was never there. But, you know, then you feel anything, couldn't feel anything. I thought, well, probably nothing. But just to be sure, and just because David had just had cancer, I thought, well, let's call the practice and let's make an appointment, which they gave me the next day, I have to say, the, the GP, so they were really fast. And uh, the woman there immediately uh, sent me off to the breast cancer clinic, and I was like, okay, interesting. So let's see what's going on here. And within a month or two weeks almost, I had the um, diagnosis that it was breast cancer. And um, it was obviously an interesting journey because David had just had cancer. So I knew what it's kind of like to go through it as a carer and what it does with a person. Not just the the fear of having cancer, but then also the treatments because David had chemo and everything, operation. And what it's a big thing when this happens in your life. It's it's um, life-threatening, as they say, but it's it's a big thing because it really kind of gets you off the tracks, you know. And so I was sitting there thinking, okay, so... What do I do now? I mean, could be cancer, could not be. I don't think it is cancer, but what do I do if it is cancer? So I did have this deliberation. And then I thought, well, but, you know, well, if it is cancer, then so it is. Then we just have to do something about it, right? And the first question that I asked myself is like, this is really strange because I've been like interested in esoteric things, like I said, since I was a teenager, been doing meditation, learning so much about self-development, learning so much in all kinds of areas. And I thought, and also obviously I'd already done the um, coaching and uh, hypnotherapy, learned a lot about beliefs. And here I am thinking, aha, uh-huh. so apparently I still must have beliefs that then have caused this, these tumors to appear. Interesting. So, I mean, that was like, on a, to some degree, it's like you have to admit to yourself that even though I've done, or I thought I've done a lot of work, apparently it wasn't yet the right work or not enough or something else is still there, however you want to see it. Um, but yeah, I kind of accepted that pretty quickly, I think. And then it was all about what can I do to um, reduce the tumors and all of that because um, the NHS system or the medical system in the UK is set up in such a way that they want you to get into treatment as fast as possible, which is absolutely the right thing, obviously, from a medical point of view. And I was then there saying, well, but, you know, I have to be true to myself. I can't just tell everybody else, you know, you can heal yourself and use hypnosis and do this to influence your body. And then here I am, oh, I've got cancer, let's straight away jump into treatment. Um, So I did ask for um, extended periods of time where we didn't do anything yet. I said, I have to try my stuff. I have to try hypnosis. I I have to use energy healing. I have to use intentions and whatever else I did. 
and um, I could get two months from the doctors and I had the result that the tumors weren't growing. So they were, um, they stopped growing, so to speak, but obviously that's not enough for the medical um, system. For doctors, they'll say, well, you know, you still have cancer, so we still have to do something about it. And I was like, well, yeah, what can I do? Because I, the only option is either you fall out of the medical care or you go with it. And so then, and because the first step in my case was, because I had breast cancer, um, it was uh, hormone receptive uh, breast cancer. And um, the first step, because of the tumor sizes and the amount of tumors was to have a mastectomy. Uh, mastectomy with an immediate reconstruction. And I said, well, you know, let's go for it. Let's, let's, let's do it then. That's, that's cool. And I thought if, they, if the cancer hasn't moved anywhere, then that'll be it. I won't need any chemo. And that's brilliant. So, And we went for that. And um, I used hypnosis to prepare my body for the um, operation and everything. And what did that look like, the, the hypnosis? What did you do? What was your protocol? So, um, well, I recorded a hypnosis for myself, which I listened to. That's the easiest way. And basically, it was all about um, helping the immune system, strengthening the immune system, telling it that it can do all the things that it needs to do. I also told this, the cancer cells that I was grateful to them for the job they'd done, for alerting me that to the situation that something's not right in my life, that I had to stop and think about my ways, so to speak. And I uh, also said, you know, thank you, but um, unfortunately you have to leave now because your presence means that the rest of us are not going to be safe if you keep spreading. So um, I've agreed that, you know, your breast cells, you have to go. And I also then told the fat cells, because they take the fat cells from the stomach, and I told them that, um, yeah, they're going to get an upgrade. They're going to be, you know, having a better view from the breast region and that this is what I want, that this is what we need. And that this is what's going to happen. So because I believe that if the body knows what's going to happen, in my understanding, every cell of our body has its own consciousness. And it reacts to the environment. And it, it, can, it listens to what I think. It listens to what I say. And so basically I told the cells what was going to happen so that they could prepare themselves for that operation. That was the main thing about preparing myself for the operation. Um, so that how, how long did so you said they gave you like a two month window mm -hmm. that was before the surgery mm -hmm. and what would that window have been normally? Well, normally it would have uh, they would have gone straight into the operation. So like a week or yes, you, yeah, yeah. like as soon, as soon as possible. And, yeah, and absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And the two months they said that's the maximum we will allow you. Otherwise, we don't want to. Yeah, because obviously longer they can't do as well because otherwise you know they will get reprimanded because it's not their duty of care means they have to get me into treatment as soon as possible. It's it's how the system works, and I understand that. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit. I mean, I've, I've we've we've talked about this a few times on the on the podcast. So so me personally, I've I haven't had cancer. I don't. I've never been close to anyone who has had. Um, so it's very easy to have opinions on it when you haven't been through it and you wasn't your partner, mm. brother, sister, mum, dad, whatever. My my mum's mum, so my maternal grandmother, she died from cancer when my mum was. 16 mm -hmm. so it was there in the family but my mum now is 80 80 81 and she's fine never mm -hmm. had any problems i think mm -hmm. she she kind of she's she's very strong-minded my mum and i think she just kind of went the other way like i'm never going to get this mm -hmm. and then never had never mm -hmm. had a problem um but we've 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 talked about this we've i've talked about it with a, with a few people because so that i've had one podcast removed from youtube 
uh-huh. because we talked about cancer and um, I, I'm, I'm kind of reluctant even to say it in case this one gets pulled down, but that there, there, there might be other possible ways to deal with it other than what the doctor tells you. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's put it like that. Um, and I've, I've been interested in, in those stories because that fits very much with my philosophy and belief system, which is the, the same as what you were describing, that, you know, your every part of your body has an innate intelligence mm-hmm. and it knows what it's supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. what it's not supposed to be doing. And if things go a little bit awry, it's because there's an imbalance, mm-hmm. right? It's Correct. just trying to correct and, and get back to, to where you should be. But I, I, I listened recently to... Um, I don't know whether you whether you watch ever Dr. Berg on, on YouTube. It's no. a massive channel. It's about 10 million wow. subscribers. Mm-hmm. And he's posting stuff about beetroot and prostate and toe fungus and you know, there's videos mm-hmm. every day about all kinds of stuff, all sort of natural modalities. And he's very big on fasting, mm-hmm. prolonged fasting and intermittent fasting and kind of keto, keeping your refined carbohydrate, carbohydrates down. And I listened to one recently um, about a, a guy who had stage three or two or three bowel cancer, a young guy who was in the family, um, and kind of had that had to make that decision of uh, the, the hospital system wanted to do chemo and then surgery. And he was, I think it was like 41, something like that, and he's, he run eight or nine martial arts schools. And he wow. was like, look, it's great. They're saying it will get rid of it, but I can't run my business anymore. You won't mm-hmm. be able to train and do this, that, and the other. And he basically fasted, did prolonged fasting. I think he said three months, two months, three months, no no disease, mm-hmm. disease-free. Um, and, and I mean, I don't know what your, what your position on it is, but... To me, the the medical system at the moment seems to be set up as a business. And treating cancer is good business. I mean, the, 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 the surgeries, the chemotherapies, all these things, they're expensive. Um, and not eating for a week is kind of cheap. Yeah. And I think that... that for me, I feel that there's a real um, kind of tug of war between what's the best way to deal with things and what's the most uh, profitable way to deal with things. Mm-hmm. And uh, the money side seems to be winning at the moment. Yeah, so I am with you <laughs> on, on, on that opinion. However, I also have to say um, I've always been fascinated by medicine. So when I when I was young, I kind of didn't have a choice because I applied for this apprenticeship with Lufthansa and I, I was accepted. So I didn't have to ch- think, what else can I do? The second thing that I would have liked to do would have been to study medicine. So um, I've always been fascinated by medicine. Um, my, my best friend in school, she studied medicine and I begged her to take me with her, you know, when they were doing abductions on dead people because I thought this must be so interesting when you look into that because it's like, oh my God, you know, that's so fascinating. But I never got that opportunity, but I have always read medical books, for example. If I borrowed her books, you know, the anatomy books, and when she studied yeah. anatomy and yeah. I read those and to understand. 
And also when I did hypnotherapy, I've always tried to really, as much as I as a layman can understand what's happened in any kind of illness, I'm kind of seeing holistically what is the message, but also systematically what is kind of what's happening in the body and to kind of get information from both sides. Now, um, I also have a cousin who is a doctor of uh, biochemistry. She was, and she works in oncology. She's a scientist, and uh, obviously her opinion was super clear that you know I have to have the operation and immediately have chemo because that's the only thing that will cure me. And I said we had interesting conversations because I said, listen, I need to do my stuff as well because I really believe in the stuff that I do. And um, what I learned. Because obviously when my partner had cancer and he want, he, they were offering him to have chemotherapy and I was like, oh, please don't, you know, it's really, it's, it really is kind of poison that kills your, all your fast growing cells. And he's like, but no, it's going to help me. It's going to help me get better. And then I pretty quickly realized, well, if that's what, how he thinks about it, the placebo effect, as it's called, will help him. So I said to him, fine, darling, if you think you want to have chemo, if you think it's going to help you, then let's go for it. Let's do that. And um, yes, if that's what you want, I'll support you. It was a very difficult decision for me to support him in that. But I also saw already with him, um, it's kind of a very frightening situation to have been diagnosed with cancer. And the doctors have a very hypnotic way of speaking to you as well. And they will always um, inform you about all the risks that you're taking. They informed me about the risks by prolonging the time of no treatment, that, you know, how dangerous that was. And they do it with the best of intention. I have to say that as well, because the doctors, the medical side, they truly believe in what they do as well. The, the people that you talk with, the doctors, the surgeons, they absolutely believe in their stuff. And I, I admire surgeons, I have to say, for what they do, what they, what they dare to do, cutting into people and doing these operations. So there I saw it with David, how it was uh, for him to make that decision. And when I was fr confronted with the same question, I mean, the operation was easy to decide for. Because I thought this is going to be so fascinating. And, you know, they told me they're taking this tissue and taking it from here, putting it there. I thought, wow. And I begged the surgeons to please, please, please take pictures because I want to know what it's like. I've never had an operation. I've never been ill before. This was totally new. And I have like pictures from me with this big hole in my stomach where the fat is taken. I even have a video where the, where the fat is, you can see, and you can see the, the artery still pulsating because it all needs to get nourished, you know, with blood. And this fascinates me to know and just the idea also to have pictures to see how my body with a huge hole, I mean, this is just like a surgical hole with just the fat missing, but my body can deal with that. My body absolutely is able to deal with it. And then when the two ends of the skin were connected, they grew together. And, you know, it, the body is so amazing. And um, so having the surgery was um, for me more or less almost like a, like an experiment to see what is it like, how is it going to be and how is it going to feel. I've never been ill. That was really fascinating. And uh, But when then they found out that uh, lymph nodes had cancer already as well, then obviously came the thing about, well, you now have to have chemo. And I thought, my mindset is chemo is poison. It kills all the fast-growing cells. And with that mindset, I'm never going to have any positive result with, with the chemo. So there was only the option to deny it or to do something about my mindset. And again, like I said, I also believe in medicine. I also share your vision or what you explained that there are other ways of healing cancer. I absolutely share that. 
Um, but I think I probably also realized that um, it takes a certain kind of person who can also then pull that off. Oh, who, for sure. Who can have that inner belief. David, for example, he, he used his meditation. His, his tumor had disappeared by the time with the chemo and the meditation he did. His tumor had disappeared. My, my tumors with, um, with the hypnosis, they only stopped growing. Maybe they would have needed more time. I don't know. But I wasn't, I wasn't given the option to have more time. And there is an element then when you kind of have to think, well, okay, what do I do now? This is kind of my life. And that's my belief. Chemo is bad. Operation is already done. Do I want to take the risk and kind of wait and see what the cancer cells that went to the lymph nodes, what they can do? Do I want to trust what I can do? Have I shown myself enough that my hypnosis and what I can do in my body worked? Or do I want to just take both and combine both worlds and make sure that I really get the best of both worlds? And that's what I came to in the end. I decided, well, I'm going to change my mindset about the chemotherapy. I'm going to tell myself that, yes, chemotherapy is absolutely ideal to target unhealthy cells. Because medical people will tell you what I put into the next hypnosis is not possible. But it worked for me because my hypnosis was that the chemotherapy was only going to be soaked up by all the cancer cells. All the healthy cells uh, were going to be immune to the chemotherapy. So I, I, I basically told all the cancer cells, you soak up all the chemotherapy and all the other cells are immune and any kind of overflow of chemo is just going to be flushed out of the body. That's what I, I whether it worked or not, is obviously, I, I don't have any scientific evidence of it. But what I do know is that um, I had six months of chemotherapy and I had next to no side effects. I mean, I had one side effect, which, which was that the hair came out, but that's, that was another side project that I kind of deliberately thought, well, if I'm, if I'm going through this, then I, can, I may as well try what it's like to be without hair. But that was, yeah me being a bit crazy as, as I am sometimes. But other than that, I had I had no stomach pain. I had no all of these things that people normally get with chemotherapy. I, I traveled through Europe to 26 concerts during the six months of chemotherapy because uh, I was fit. I, I was in, in uh, Belfast, for example, in one concert in the evening, overnight drove down to Dublin, took the first flight back to London, arrived at 8 o'clock at 9, 9.30. I was in the chemo suite, you know, to, to get my chemotherapy. But that was me, just how I chose to live and how I got my energy because concerts give me a lot of energy and how I kind of decided to combine these things. And it worked brilliantly. I mean, obviously, there were other things. I really changed my nutrition because nutrition is an absolute key factor in your well-being. And you can support your body phenomenally with uh, nutrition. And what did you change? How did, how did you change your, your um, nutrition? Well, basically to eat, to cut out all processed food as much as possible and really eat what is what you can recognize as food. That's the easiest rule, really. Kind of anything that you can buy, then you can see, oh, this is a kale, this is a beetroot, this is a banana. And... Um, Eat those things, hope, mostly cruciferous uh, greens because they are uh, good anti-cancerous. Anti blueberries, all the red and blueberries are really good. They have all, I don't know all the names of the kind of uh, chemicals that are within them, but yeah, yeah. basically everything that you've just described earlier about anti-cancer or cancer healing food, I um, did all of that. I did it already for David, so it was easy to continue that with me. Uh, a lot of green smoothies and all of these kind of things. And really just understand that don't eat any sugar. Sugar is the one thing that cancer loves to feed on. Mm. And um, and so did they, Did they? Um, when you were talking to the doctors, 
did they talk to you about diet and about sugar or no? No, the doctors, they are not trained in these things, I have to say. I mean, I asked my oncologist uh, if she had any suggestions about uh, what I should eat or not, because obviously I'm holistically interested. And she just said, well, you know, just eat what you want, eat what makes you happy. And I just thought, okay, I will not do that, but thank you very much. At least I've asked. And uh, But I have to say in their defense, they are not trained. Medical doctors are not trained in nutrition, which is a shame because if you think about it, I had chemotherapy. I had um, first EC, that's I think apirubicin and cyclophosphamide or something. And then I had paclitaxel as a second uh, chemo. And that one, the main ingredient comes from the yew tree, Pacific yew tree. So a lot of medications that we get actually have their roots or have their ingredients coming from from the natural world, from the plant world. I mean, just think of penicillin. I think most and do. Yes. It's just and what can be patented, right? Exactly. And so, and that's where basically with my hypnotherapy thinking, what comes in then in a way is medicine works because our cells have receptors. They are like keyholes and there's a key that fits into that keyhole to turn on a certain function or to turn it off or to to, to do something. And what medicine does, and my, this is my understanding, how I kind of um, think about it, medicine knows that there are these keyholes, so it tries to create the keys. But really what, what the case is, there are already keys. Either our body owns substances or there are natural substances that already fit into those keyholes. That's why you have so many natural remedies, so many plants, so many things that have phenomenal healing um, uh, abilities and they work. That's why for, for centuries, for thousands of years, we've always had medicine men and medicine women who would give you this, this plant or tell you what to do with natural things. And what modern medicine does, it basically imitates, it mimics these things, obviously to make it maybe even faster working or better working or what have you. But in the end, what I thought is like, well, if there is a receptor in my body that can tell whatever, for example, my my immune system to really kind of recognize the cancer cells. For example, before, when I still had um, the cancer cells, I did tell my the cancer cells that they would um, put out their antennas because what cancer cells do is that they kind of hide. They kind of, they are able to hide from our immune system so that our T cells and there are certain cells that are there to recognize cancer cells that they can't see them anymore. My cousin told me all of this because she works exactly in that area. And there's there's medicine to kind of try and find out, to, to find cancer cells, even though their antennas have been withdrawn. So I, t I said, okay, well, if that's the case, then I'm going to use my hypnosis and tell the cancer cells, you are now putting out your antennas again so that you can be recognized. And I told my T cells that you are now all able to recognize the T cells, uh, the cancer cells, so that you can, when you find them, you can then drill a hole into those cancer cells because that's what the T cells do. So that they they just you know kind of lose their ability to exist, and then other cells come and clean all this up. So because the subconscious is, it works by images, and it it's just in the end you just need to tell it what you want it to do, and so, that's so what do, I used. Do you need to create an image? of what does a T-cell look like and what does a cancer cell look like to, to build these hypnoses. So how do you, you know, because like if, if, if I say to myself a T-cell and a cancer cell, I guess I kind of go on like, I don't know, the T-cell is like a, looks like a soldier with a, mm -hmm. you know, like a whatever and the cancer cell looks like one of those little goblin orc things from <laughs> Lord of the Rings, you know, mm -hmm. but I don't, mm -hmm. is that, is that adequate? 
to program the subconscious or do you need more detail of what it what they actually look like so i can't give you like a scientific answer i can tell you what works for me and what worked with people that i've worked with um it, whatever you can visualize works best for you that's the short answer and um the subconscious really is like a child so and you know how a child also can't draw perfectly perfect images so um it's it's about visualizing and kind of have just imagining how this is happening and the more you can imagine it the more it will happen and do you do you also include kind of changing your state your your the kind of feeling that you're having because what was interesting to me and this this again is something that I've become aware of over the last few months is that you said you you were grateful to the cancer cells for alerting you to something mm -hmm. and you're grateful you know for your body for healing and mm -hmm. grateful for this and grateful for that that's kind of one of the highest vibrations as far as i'm now aware and um i was talking about this the other week with with richard when he was on but i, I remember ages ago listening to um podcast with this guy who had been living in a yoga retreat in india for like 10 years and was talking about how they they would just do yoga all day and then they would go and make their meal together and sit and eat their meal. And him saying like these this it was simple food, but it was like the the best meals that he'd ever eaten. Mm -hmm. It was sort of just amazing. And I was I always was kind of thinking like, oh, um, that's just because you're in a nice place and you're with people that you like and you've been doing yoga all day and you're in a, a cool kind of state of mind and and i think probably that 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 helps but then i had a lady on um called josie who's a homeopath and we were talking about water and energy and all of this kind of thing and i, th I think it came up in that conversation that um the the water has an energy has a has a, a vibration that's kind mm -hmm. of how homeopathy mm -hmm. works right mm -hmm. you put the stuff in and then you dilute mm -hmm. it so much it's not there anymore mm -hmm. but the energy the, the water still remembers the yeah. energy signature of the the yeah. compound and yeah. still does it right and i don't know how how whether she said it or i was doing some research or i don't I can't remember how i came to it but it it came up that that's why you say grace before you eat absolutely because you give the 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 thankfulness that that um vibration to the water in the food mm -hmm. so it actually the food actually changes its its energy before mm -hmm. you eat it which is mm -hmm. why you say thank you before before you eat and so this this kind of leads to what you were saying rather than being cross with the cancer cells mm -hmm. and pissed off with your body and is <laughs> like no no ev there's there's gratitude yes. everywhere which is this vibration absolutely yeah so how how did you kind of come to that realization and build that into the hypnosis was that something that you learned in your training or no you just it kind of felt like this is the way to go no that uh, that's an interesting question but um i don't think i've that's that's always been i've known this known this since forever in a sense that um, nothing, well, it's, it's one of my, my life mottos that nothing happens by coincidence. Everything happens for a reason. The only thing is we don't know at the time when it happens. 
only in retrospect, so often can we say, ah, oh, this is why that had to happen. Okay, now it makes all makes sense. So we as beings don't have this omniscience that we really understand in every moment of time why certain things happen. I personally believe that there is um, an omniscience, um, however you want to call that, whether you call it God or anything. I call it source by now. I mean, that's the one thing that has changed. That I really understand. For me, I understand that everything is energy. Everything is energy on its lowest level. I mean, as a child, I can tell you, as a child, when I learned about atoms, I remember thinking, well, this is interesting because if I'm atoms and if the air is atoms and if you're atoms, then basically through the atoms from here to there, we're all connected. It's like, it's like we're all like one part, all one of this big part of all of atoms. The field, right? Yes, and that fascinated me as a child. I wasn't kind of ready to go into the energy bit of it, but it was all this on this level of atoms that we were all... I always imagined myself as going through... You know how children have these playgrounds where there's these big plastic balls and you jump in into a pool of plastic yes. balls? Yes. And that's how I imagined myself being in, in this life. I'm walking through this big playground of, of atom balls, so to speak. And I also had this imagination that we're like, we're all connected. Like, because I traveled so much in, uh, as, a, as a child, I saw the world almost like a big ball of wool, you know, with a string of wool. And we're all connected somehow, somewhere. This, this, sometimes we meet here, two strings meet here, and sometimes we meet on the other side. Like when I was in New York, I remember that one as well. I was eight years old in New York in a hotel, and I was looking down from the 50th floor, whatever. And I thought, wow all these people have places to go to, all these people have things they think about or worries, and, but I don't know them, but I've, I've seen them now. It's like this whole connection through the atoms. I was just connected with them, but in the next moment I would never think about them again. So that was in my childhood how I kind of tried to understand or how something in me t told me we are all connected somehow, and even though we don't know about the rest of the planet, we are still all connected. And... Um, my father was very ill. He had an autoimmune disease for seven years before he died. And for sure, my mom and I both understood that there's more in this illness than just getting ill and dying. There's a message in it. And my father was totally against these things. He didn't see it this way, and so be it. So I learned at that time, I can only be responsible for me, for my way, and I have to let other people find their way. Like my coaching mantra is, I respect the other divine being's own sacred way. But what that means is that we are all divine beings by whatever divinity you want to go by, but we are all energy beings. And you are on your path, I'm on my path. I can only help you. I can't do anything for you. For example, with healing and stuff, I don't believe that it's my job to heal you. But what I can do is help you to heal yourself. And I can do that on the energy level because on the energy level is where we can all find healing for ourselves or when we when we work with others and help them on their own energy level to find the healing and um, gratitude is just um, I don't know it's just my way of saying saying thank you back you know to it's a way of communicating with this energy because <laughs> how can I say this it's like life gives us so many opportunities and so many things happen and we are just kind of like almost like well reflecting back in a sense but if we take those signals and actually take them seriously then we can do something about 
you know, we can bring in change in a sense, you know. It's, um, I don't know if, the, if that answers your question, probably not, but this is, um, for me, gratitude is, um, is essential. But it's not as if I have to be grateful. It's just, it's like, wow, what an opportunity. Like, I mean, when I said earlier about the hair falling out, um, I didn't put that into the hypnosis because I thought as a child I was afraid of skinheads as we had them sometimes in Germany. Also, I noticed that if I saw women who had cancer with no hair, that I was totally insecure, didn't know how to react and or what to say or probably would even not look at them. And so I thought, well, you know, I'm already in this experiment called breast cancer and seeing how this all works, then why not throw myself in all the way and see what it's like when you have no hair? Because obviously, deliberately, I would never shave my hair off. Um, but now I had the opportunity. It was going to happen anyway. And so I did it. And mainly with the idea of, well, let's see what it's like on the other side. Let's step into those shoes and see what it's like when, when you are greeted or not greeted or when people look at you or look away or you know and I found that so enriching as an experience obviously I didn't kind of want it but now that I had the opportunity I thought well let's go for it it's what a, what a great opportunity to see what life is like when you don't have hair as a woman and um, I found it I mean, obviously, it was the first two days were like difficult. Like when you look at yourself in the mirror and you think, oh, I look a bit strange, but um, I like myself without hair. I thought, well, it's okay. It's not too bad. I saw my father in me, which was interesting, which was a huge, um, yeah, not revelation, but I kind of, I learned to love my father through seeing him in myself in a way. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I had a difficult relationship with him. But when I saw him, then I thought, well, okay. That's okay. That's cool. And that's an opportunity. So why wouldn't I be grateful for that? Do you know what I mean? Did you did you forget after a while that you were without hair? Or were you always conscious of it? I mean, it's cold, Interesting. Right? It's, well, I, it was in the summer. I was lucky that I, uh, it was in the summer. And I so enjoyed this possibility because it was so hot. And chemo made me hot. I kind of like, I was always hot. And so just the opportunity to just go to the bathroom and put hair, cold water over your head. I was like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. Or when you have, when you come out of the shower, no long drying of your hair or anything. You just go, whoop, whoop, and it's done, you know. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And um, I got so used to it. I mean, it wasn't... This day, for example, if any of my best friends said to me, oh, you know, I have cancer and oh my God, you know, probably I'm going to lose my hair and stuff. I'd say, well, you know, let's go together and I'll shave mine off again so that you're not alone. I, I wouldn't have any issues doing that ever again because I know it's, it grows again. It's not a problem. And um, it, it felt really cool. I mean, I went. I even went to concerts. I remember going with my friends uh, to Harpsalu to a concert. And first I had my hat on and the sun was shining. When the sun went, I thought, well, fuck it, I'm just going to take the hat off. And I was there in, in the first row without my hat. I just, you know, no hair. And I thought, well, that's me now. And so let's be me now. And it was a really empowering experience, you know, kind of like learning to just be myself and accept myself the way I was. And um, But what an opportunity. And so what, what year was, was all of that happening? That was in 2019. And so you, you already were trained and practicing? As a coach and hypnotherapist, yes. And then you, after that, went to do the psych care? Mm -hmm, correct. Because of a result of that, that experience or it was something else? 
it was it just passed uh, crossed my path. I mean, I actually, the first time I heard about Psyche was in 2016, and it I completely just it wasn't the time. I kind of didn't connect with it. I thought that can't be because um, I had just learned hypnotherapy. And hypnotherapy was the way how to change beliefs and how the only way that it could work for me in my understanding. And psyche is a form of energy psychology. So it really kind of works on the energy level of our being. And um, it's fascinating how it works. But at the time, I just thought, nah, this can't be true. This is too fast, can't work. And so in the meantime, since 2016, I have um, attended other courses that have allowed me to connect more with the energy world, let's say. So, for example, I've done a course on how to learn to read your intuition by doing readings on other people on Zoom, telling them stuff that you get about them, and then they give you feedback where I thought, how is that possible? That what I kind of saw and sensed actually is true for these people. That was a phenomenal course. And I did another course where I um, it was all about learning how to channel people who are not alive anymore. And the guy who, who taught the course said, oh, you know, by the end of today, you'll all be channeling a dead person. And we were like, yeah, sure. Um, but I did. Again, I was working only with people who I didn't know. And um, it's this when you learn, how can I explain this? This experience of what I perceived in that moment when I was channeling or inviting, it was the mother of the woman that I was working with that she wanted to get a message from. And I was standing there with my eyes closed and um, I thought, it makes no sense what I'm kind of getting here. It's just so ridiculous. It, was, it didn't make any sense what I, what I felt. So um, like what I, I saw like an image of like a Greek harbor kind of thing, you know, the white houses. And, but then and I, I kind of just thought, well, I want to hug you, but I can't. But I, I want to hug, you know, I felt in my arms, I want to hug you. But I also felt in my arms that I couldn't hug her. That was like a, a physical perception, really. And I thought it doesn't make any sense. And so when I said, when I, in, in this exercise, I said to this woman, I'm going to keep my eyes closed because when I say this, because it makes no sense. And I'm so sorry that you're working with me because it, it just didn't work. And I said to her what I saw, this, this Greek harbor. And then I thought this kind of, I want to hug you, but I can't. And when I opened my eyes, the woman was crying and said, thank you so much. And I was like, huh? How can that make any sense? And she said, yeah, uh, the last time when she went to see her mother before she died, her mother had had a stroke and she lived in Greece in, 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 in near harbor and she couldn't move. She couldn't hug her anymore. And, and to know, and I was like, oh my God, this is like, and that's when I really understood energy is real. We are real. We are. That's crazy though. So how, how, how far before that, Oh, that I don't remember. I don't know. I don't know that, but um, I just know, again, every time I tell the story, I get goosebumps because that's the thing. When you have a physical connection with energy world, that's when you know things are real. And I mean, through the hypnotherapy practice, I had also experiences with clients where they would on the other side of, be on the other side of the world, for example. And I would see in my imagination things that they would tell me in the next second that they had just seen you know and that or for example they'd go to a different life where i thought what's what's happening now and this is where all these experiences had to happen for me to understand energy is real yeah i mean there's there, for me for me for sure there's there's no doubt um and i had a lady another lady on called beth who's an energy healer mm -hmm. 
Um, I think she's, she says she's an energy director, mm -hmm. not healer. She just moves it around and whatever. But, but I remember talking to her and, and my concept of that was like, sh you need to be close to someone. But she said, no, this makes no difference. No, and makes that, no difference. that like, blew my mind. Because, you know, my, my kind of way of thinking about energy in that sense is that, you know, we've got this like a toroidal kind of field, mm. like the heart field, mm -hmm. um, that you get magnetic kind mm -hmm. of resonance, you can measure it, and I think it goes out like six foot or whatever mm -hmm. from the body. So obviously, when you're close to people, those fields actually can interact. But But the kind of deeper energy level is doesn't really rely on what we understand as as kind of spatial that 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 um dimension mm -hmm. it's not really important because mm -hmm. she was saying the same thing like i've got clients that i work with in australia in america mm -hmm. whatever it makes no difference whether i'm sitting in front of them mm -hmm. she said actually she's got better results doing it over zoom because mm -hmm. she started doing zoom through the pandemic mm -hmm. she couldn't go and see people they couldn't come and see her she said, actually, it's it's better. They don't have to travel. They're in a better mindset. I don't have to travel. Mm -hmm. I'm in a better mindset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really, really fascinating. And then I had this I had this other part of this other conversation with um, this lady called Krishna, who, again, I've, I've spoken about this, repeated this on the podcast. Um, I'll put a link to that one up here. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, we, I can't remember how we got onto the subject, but I, I said to her, like, I've always had this kind of feeling that if you give to a charity, you shouldn't really go and tell people about it because it offsets it. Mm -hmm. Don't know why, but it was just like, like I, I don't even want to give the example of stuff that I do because I feel like I shouldn't say it. So, but anyway, things that I do and I don't say anything to anybody because it feels like it, it kind of undoes it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it, so I was I was talking to her about this, and she said to me, um, she said, "Oh yeah, it's quite simple. Like why why that's a thing." And I was like, "Well, tell me, because I don't know why. I just kind of feel it." And she said, "Because everything is energy, and, and energy is in a constant state of flux. Mm -hmm. So, like you say, you know, the 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 energy, even subatomic, because atoms again is quite a blunt thing, right? There's." They, they are made up of energy inside them that we can't, you know, the, the vibrations that we can't even really measure. But it's in a constant state of flux. So she said, what, what you think of as you isn't you. And what you think of as someone else isn't someone else. And the table isn't the table. It's just the energy is just moving through. And at any moment, it happens to be there. So when you give to charity, to someone or whatever, you're not actually giving them anything because you don't have anything because the energy that you think of as your money or your possessions or your clothes or your body or whatever actually isn't. It is just like the field and it's just kind of moving and you just happen to have that interaction with it at that time. So if you then give that to someone else and then go and take credit for it, mm -hmm you're actually in a deficit to the universe because you're claiming and taking um, uh, uh, kind of... Uh, I lose the word. But you're, you're, you're claiming that you gave mm -hmm. something that wasn't yours to give. Yep. So now you have a debt instead of a, a, a sort of a, 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 a deficit. 
Um, and that just, again, like, kind of just blew my mind of, like, there's levels and then there's levels and then there's levels. <laughs> and then, you know, the, and the deeper you go, mm-hmm. the more you, you just have these kind of moments, like these explosions of of new ideas and then whole kind of other things just, just kind of open up for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I love this journey. I mean, that for me, life has been a journey of exactly those moments when you learn, because I mean, I don't even know how many books I've read, how many com- how many uh, courses I've done, and every time you learn something new, because also, and that's the thing, I think we can only understand it, anything about this energy, about everything that is, to a certain degree, and anybody who explains it can only extend it to the degree that they have understood it. Mm-hmm. But because different people understand it from different angles, that's why for me it is so interesting to um, learn from different sources because all of it together kind of then makes a complete picture for me. Not a complete picture, but as complete as I can get it, you know. And oh, when I was at the priest seminary, I studied there for two years. Every day my mind was blown. Every day I had my whole philosophy of how I thought the world functions was torn apart and then I had to build it up again and torn apart the next day and build it up again for two years. Um, which is on one side quite frustrating because you're never coming to the result like this is this this is how this is it how the world is this is how the universe functions this is how everything came to be and then woof you pull it all apart again and think nope that wasn't it you build it up a new way and it's annoying because you never have the real answer but it's gratifying because every day you learn something new you know what I mean and I think that is how the universe and how everything is it never is that you can could completely understand it. Science would want to understand it. That's why scientists want to know how the Earth came or how the whole universe came to be, and they have to have a mathematical formula to explain everything. And I don't, personally, I don't think that we will ever find that because I think everything is always in in a process of change, of development. And if if we even found something like Einstein's formula, probably it's not even valid anymore because things have changed since then. You yeah, know? I think I think the 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 um, the kind of concept for that is novelty. Mm-hmm. That you must have novelty. If you don't have novelty, you would be so bored. You would you don't know what to do with yourself. Mm. If there's nothing new to experience or discover or find or taste or whatever. What, what's the point of being here? Mm. Your your journey finishes, right? There's no more novelty, and and this. Um, that this there's this this kind of concept. I don't know. Maybe maybe this is something maybe that they might have talked about uh, in a in a seminary. Is that perhaps God or universe or creator or, or whatever the field created humans so that it can experience novelty mm-hmm. because it knows everything that has been and can be and all possible outcomes, etc. So it's bored. So one day it has an idea, hey, maybe I can experience this. You know, like when you, um, if you watch a movie that you've seen before with mm-hmm. someone who hasn't seen it, mm-hmm. you kind of experience, it's more exciting for you because mm-hmm. you can feel that they're getting excited because they don't know what mm-hmm. that's about <laughs> to happen, even though you know uh, I know exactly that the camera was out of focus and his eye twitches because I've seen it so many times. They don't know, mm-hmm. and I, and so I wonder whether 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 it, it is that's the reason why we're here partly, 
so that the creator can experience novelty and that's why we need novelty because it's kind of built into our purpose of being here i mean what you've just explained is one of the core things that i put into every hypnosis for any client that i tell them that um you are one possible expression of how humankind can be you are one possible expression of how a divine spark expresses itself you are there's nobody else like you has never been never will be ever again you are the one just now expression of how human can be and how amazing is that how many possibilities does that open there's nobody else who could ever copy you not even twins not even identical twins are the same because they don't think exactly the same and they don't feel exactly the same so they even though they are they look alike they are still very unique expressions of humankind and um, i think we forget that we all get born knowing that We all, that's why as babies we are all we know that we deserve all the best things because we are one unique kind of you know blessing that's coming onto this earth yes to experience this world I personally believe um, we are here because this is how the creator experiences itself its creation his her creation whatever you want however you want to say that this is one way of experiencing one way of contributing one way of learning one way of seeing life as what it can be i mean that was also again when i was a child i was um even though i was raised christian i thought this is this we, we have to have something like reincarnation because it can't be that we are only here once because how unfair would that be and i always saw myself as like i kind of had this vision why am i not this little girl in china because i saw myself as like a little girl in china in a rice field very clearly And I couldn't understand why am I me and why am I not that other girl? Why am I living in Germany, living a very comfortable life? And why am I not a, a child like that lives in poverty and has a completely different life experience? What's the rule? What's the who, who decides what kind of fate I would get? I thought that is so unfair and not even going into things like babies who are born or disabled or something or people who have accidents like this. All of that made no sense to me. And I thought, well... That can only be fair if in the next life the, the tables are turned or if in the next life we have different opportunities, if we have, you know, we learn different things, we learn new things. And again, in my hypno hypnotherapy practice, 5%, I would say, of all the clients that I've had, not because I wanted to, but because of whatever happened, they have gone to past life experiences and um, seen themselves in different lives and had experience and told me their experiences that had all to do with the problem why they came to me in this session in this life and i thought this is so fascinating this is so cool it honestly is so amazing i mean if you read there's so many books on past lives and near-death experiences where it is so evident and so clear that um, we are not our body we are not what we see But what we see is the expression of who we are. It's the, it's the condensed uh, energy. It's the condensed, materialized version of ourselves. Um, and what we really are uses this vehicle kind of like to move and to do and to, to bring change and to contribute and to, to learn and to experience and all of that. Um, we can't do that as a spirit. As a spirit, we can't experience how great uh, a chocolate tastes or we can't you know, kiss someone as a spirit, that's impossible. We need a body to do these things, you know. Um, and so, I guess a, a, a little bit on a tangent, but do you have a, 
uh, a belief or position on um, creation of humans or a kind of an evolution model? Do you believe we are created as humans? There's monkeys, there's tortoises, there's stuff in the sea, and then humans were put here. Or do you believe we we kind of evolved from you know the the, the Darwinian model, which I don't believe at all. I, I wonder whether you whether you thought about it. Uh, well, yes, of course, I have thought about it. It's, it's a very interesting question, and depending on which books you read, uh, also the, you can find very interesting answers to this. Um, and the most recent and most the answer that I found that made most sense to me is uh, one I, that I found in um, in one of the books of Greg Braden. I don't know if you've read his books. And uh, he has recently, a few years ago, kind of said something like, well, because he's a scientist as well, and um, the thing is about the... I, I don't remember it exactly how what he describes, but basically, because you know that we are 99% the same genes as um, uh, primates, exactly, but the changes that are changes are so significant to really make us so significantly different like with language and with our uh, ability, with our uh, hands and the way we can think and all of that. And, um, well, in his books and in, in a few talks that I've heard him talk about it, um, he, he, he kind of uh, explains that, I think it was 200,000 years ago, whenever that uh, whoever came and basically deliberately made those changes in the DNA. And um, I think it is the most... For me, the most be believable thing... The, the thing about me is, I don't need to know that, you see. I don't care what it's like. It's like when I was at the seminary, my my co-students, they um, said to me, oh, you're so Old Testamentarian. I said, why? They're like, oh, you just believe, you know, because we were discussing, you know, when Jesus spoke to the fig tree, if you don't bear fruit, you'll be de dead by tomorrow. And I said, well, to me, if he said that to the fig tree, I have no problems believing that the fig tree was dead the next day. That's possible. Yes, I'm also interested in how could that be or what could be the meaning of, of what he said. But I said, I can believe that when Moses uh, parted the Red Sea, that it parted. I don't need to know how it happened or how it was possible because that's the kind of, pardon me, where we, all, we also know you have to become like the children to believe. And that's, that's part of me can be that child that just believes it happened. Part of me is the adult that wants to know and would find it very interesting to know. That's why this book by Greg Braden, I find it very interesting because it obviously goes, you have other people who've written other books which always kind of include other life forms that have come to this planet to then have either brought mankind here or have changed things that, that we have become the humans that we are. I find it interesting. It has always fascinated me, this topic. Um... I don't think that we have developed from, from the primates because kind of like, why would they then all be humans? Why would we then still have primates? So that kind of doesn't make any sense in, in a way to me. But in the end, it doesn't really matter to me. Um, but it's an interesting question. So I, I believe that gene mutation... In the book, um, um, Greg also describes there are two chromosomes where there were specific genes that were changed. Uh, which made which brought all the difference and made us humans in comparison to primates. Unfortunately, I don't remember the title of the book, but I can look it up. Yeah, I'll find the if we find the name of the book, I'll put, put a link in the in the show notes. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't actually read that much. I find I find actual mechanical reading. I get really tired. Mm -hmm. I love to listen to stuff. Mm -hmm. Go 
can listen to 10 hours of things every day, no problem. But if I sit down and read, I don't know whether it's a hangover from being forced to read at school still, 40 years <laughs> later I haven't got over it, or it just it just makes me tired, but yeah, I don't I, I, I don't read that much. So <clears throat> just, to, just to double back a little bit and then expand on, on um, the therapy, in inverted commas, that, that you do. The, the counselling would probably be the slowest process for readjusting something. Hypnosis then is a jump on a bit quicker, and then the Psych K is a jump on again. And I and I, I I did do like a little bit of brief research on the Psych K, and it seems maybe it's a little bit like NLP type of stuff. Is it, would that be? It has elements of NLP in it. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So can you can you kind of elaborate a bit on Psych K, what it is and how you do it and how it works. So Psyche, as I said, is a form of energy psychology. And what we what it really does, it creates a state, <clears throat> what we call the whole brain state, where both hemispheres of your brain can communicate through the corpus callosum. And that is also kind of like a state of super learning in the end. And that's what allows us to create a change. Um, most typically, for example, uh, one of the balances that we do is called the, the transformation of the perception of stress. <clears throat> and what, what happens, for example, if, you, uh, if you're in stress very often and you kind of have to go somewhere and you can't find your keys, for example, it's like, oh, I don't know what to do, I don't know where they are, and you, you can't think anymore. It's because either one or both of your he the hemispheres of your brain shut down, it's a stress response. And what Psyche does, through what we call the whole brain position, where you cross over your hands and feet in a certain way, you enable your brain and your, both your hemispheres to think, not just with the logical half, but also with the emotional half, to process what's happening. So basically what's happening in, in those things is like you can re-evaluate, so to speak, if you're doing this for a traumatic um, situation, for a traumatic memory, for example, you kind of energetically re-evaluate and come to a state where you have where, where you are at peace and non-attachment to that situation. And it works, like I said, on the energy level. I can't really explain yet how it works, but the fascinating thing is that when I work with partners, we call not clients but partners in Psyche, the result after a TPS is always that they say, huh, I can't really bring that emotion up anymore if it's about a stressful emotion. Or they say, well, it's kind of like as if it's far away now, that thought. I can't really, or I can't really think about it anymore now. So it's like the charge, the energetic charge is not there anymore. You know, that's what Psyche can do on, on, when it's about stress. And, um, and it, it, we do the same in hypnotherapy, by the way. But in hypnotherapy, or when I do RTT, it's, um, we would do regression and you go back to the scene. That's all to do with why, when, where, and how you created a certain belief, a certain behavior. And you would see that scene, not not re-experience it, but you get the emotions they, because they are still there. That's the thing. Emotions are energy, and the energy, or the emotion, the energy of the emotion is still there until that emotion has been experienced and has been given the chance to express itself. Because emotions are like an alarm system of our body; they have a purpose. When you, are, when you experience fear, it's because your system wants you to either run away to bring yourself into safety. Or if you experience anger, it's because it wants you to fight and kind of make sure that you survive. 
they are they have a reason they have a purpose emotions and what we do is we always suppress them it's like i learned not to cry i learned not to laugh i shouldn't i was best not even hurt or seen or anything or don't show me any tears kind of things or when i was too f- laughing you know don't be so crazy you know don't be because my father couldn't deal with emotions but i and i learned well okay so i mustn't show emotions but what that does they get all suppressed and the energy of that stays in your body And so either with hypnosis, you can go back there and then kind of look at the situation and understand from an adult perspective what the other adult did probably to you when you were the child was probably not appropriate. You should have been allowed to express the emotion and then you can reevaluate that. It's a, it's kind of a longer process. Whereas with um, with Psyche, it's like you, th- you, you then concentrate on that situation. You concentrate on that feeling if it's a traumatic experience. And it's like... It sort of dissolves. You, people have either thoughts or have insights, or sometimes they'll come out of that saying, "Huh, now I know what what that meant." Because you have like an, you know, it's because your brain, your whole brain, and all of a sudden your superconscious can give you a message, and you can actually have an insight that with your normal physical brain you couldn't have had. With your ego brain, you wouldn't have understood. You you kind of have a bigger picture view all of a sudden. And that's what happens when, when, when the two hemispheres can communicate. And the same then happens if you want to uh, implement a new belief, because all of this work is to create a, a belief set, a mindset that is actually self-enhancing, self-supportive, because most of the beliefs that we run around with are absolutely detrimental to our own health. Like me, I, I thought I always have to be busy. If I don't have, if I'm not busy, I'm, I'm doing something wrong. Now I have a belief that I am absolutely allowed to give myself breaks. It is good for me when I give myself breaks and stuff like that. I, I've changed that deliberately so that I don't feel uh, pressed to do something all the time. I'm like, I can sit at home and do nothing because then, as you said, I just choose to sit here and give myself rest because my body needs rest. My body has been whatever doing whatever like when I'm exhausted and then I sit down and think, yes, I deserve this rest. My body deserve this, deserves this rest. And this is fine. In the past, I could never have done that. And so in Psyche, we, we do that also with the whole brain posture. There are different balances that we can, as we call them. And um, But again, it's it's creating the super learning status. So if you're, if you're working with a partner, mm-hmm. you would put them in a certain physical pose and mm-hmm. then you speak to them. Um, basically, yes, I, I speak to them and tell them what to do, but basically I just give them instructions to, to concentrate on a certain situation until they feel a mental, emotional or physical change, which will be their sign that their perception has changed because it's about changing the perception. So less kind of um, one-way flow of information than with traditional hypnosis. Oh, yes, totally. I mean, with hypnosis, I'm the one who's talking all the yeah. time, basically, and yeah. the, the client just tells me what they experience or see, and then I'm the one kind of running the session, definitely. Yeah. With Psyche, it's totally different. With Psyche, you're the one, or the partner is the one who says, well, this is the topic I want to work on, and um, I'm just the one who, f- who finds out what is what do you want different, or what is stressful about the situation? Let's resolve any stress around whatever topic it is that you're bringing. Um, and then once we have resolved the stress and you can kind of think more freely, then we'll kind of have a look and see, okay, so what is it now in order to change whatever it is that you want to change? What would be beneficial? What would be a good way of thinking about the situation that will help you to um, you know, reach your goal? And so do you do, you do now more of that than the hypnosis and yeah. the counseling? Yeah. You only do the psych now. 
I actually, so far, I only do psyche because I have coaching clients as well who then have packages where they would get hypnotherapy. And it's so funny because then I've always said to them, oh, I have a new thing. Would you like to try this? And they all said, well, okay, sure. And once they tried it, none of them wanted any hypnotherapy because with psyche, you can work so much faster and have results so much quicker. And it is really so much more profound. You have, you can really... I mean, I had one client um, who'd been suffering from depression for over 30 years and we, we only did this one session and um, the relief for him to understand that because he, he believed that, you know, he was wherever he would go, he was the source of all the horrible things that would be happening. And he had this experience where he was in a, in a balance and then this voice that said to him, it's not your fault. And it's like in hypnosis, it, hypnosis or psyche, it's like an altered state where you know that that state is almost more real than your real life. And I can't really explain that but because you have to experience it because when you experience it, you know that what you've just heard when this voice said to him, it's not your fault. He knew that that was the truth because it's your superconscious that gives you this information and it finally gets through to you to say, it's not your fault. You're not creating everything. You're okay. And when once you know this, and you know it with every cell of your being, it's like so liberating because all of a sudden you understand, well, my previous perception was wrong, but this is the, the true perception because that's what this work is. It changes your perception. You know, Perceptions are the filters through which we experience our life. And once you can adjust those perceptions and make them more true, because perceptions or beliefs, as I said at the beginning, they are what we take on very early in our life. We learn how to be. We learn how we are from the feedback that we get from our environment. That's the filters, that's the perceptions that we are taking on early in life. And so they are, most of them are not true. And when you then hear this voice giving you the real truth, it's like, huh. And is that voice, do you, do you feel that that voice, that's your internal voice, or that is connection to something source, or both? So in my experience, um, again, it's a question of definition, how you want to call these things. But um, in Psyche, we work with your superconscious and your subconscious. But my own experience of when I do Psyche, obviously also with myself, when the superconscious speaks to you, it's almost like it's, it's that divine spark that is connected to source. It's, it's that truth that comes through to you. And uh, it's it's fascinating when that happens. And how does that how does that then sound or feel different to you to subconscious? Well, subconscious is like that's our everyday program, isn't it? So your subconscious is what kind of runs you every day, mm. and uh, the changes that happen in the subconscious, I perceive them, for example, in a way that. Um, well, I balance for myself, for example, that I love sales and marketing and that I want to do videos, things that I've never done in the past and because I I just don't want to do that and I don't like it. So I thought I have to do this now. So I balanced, I love sales and marketing, I love videos, I love talking in front of a camera, I love blah, blah, blah. And then, for example, I sit at home and then I think, well, I could do something and I just go to my computer and I open an app and then I just start creating a brochure, for example, you know, for my for Psyche and I'm thinking what's wrong with me? You know, I never do this kind of thing. And then I'm thinking, well, it's actually quite good that I'm doing it because I need to do this. So you become like a different person, almost like I don't recognize myself for doing these things, but 
it's the one it's the it's what i want mm. do you know what i mean because and that's the thing if you want to change your personal reality you have to change your personality this is joe dispenser there that, who says that and it's true you cannot stay the same person and then expect to have a different life experience it doesn't work that way you have to send out a different energy to receive a different result and so and the subconscious is, in my case, where I would say you can experience how you become a different person. Your per change in your subconscious, change in your belief, in your beliefs means you're changing your personality, because this is our beliefs are they express themselves in habitual behavior, think how we say things, how we do things, what we do, how we do things regularly every day, and when, when you change these things, that's when you can become a different person. You're changing your personality, and then you get different results in your life. So, yeah, so the subconscious kind of is more like the, maybe it's not exactly the right word, but like the mundane, mm -hmm. like the voice in your ear all the mm -hmm. time telling mm -hmm. you to do things. Yes. That, that's the subconscious. Correct. Whereas the superconscious is that like, I had an experience, mm -hmm. like, wow, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. something shifted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, mm -hmm. that, 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 that makes sense. And so with the site K, would you would that typically be like one two sessions for something? Is is it that yeah sort of dramatic? It it can be it can be. So obviously it depends on whatever the topic is that you're bringing. So if you just want to say let's say for example oh I, I need to give a talk or I need to present uh, annual figures and I can't talk in front of people, then that would probably be dealt in within one session fee of public speaking or something like that. But if you have a, a something bigger and and want to kind of really change your um, become more confident and do this, do that, and have many different areas where you think, oh, I'd, I'd like to do this and that, then you can benefit from more sessions. But one one session can be very transformational. Um, and most people then work on different things in different sessions because that's the thing where you can then really build on, you know, things, when build on change. And how long is a session normally? I always allow 90 minutes because I like to... I mean, 60 minutes probably would would be enough, but I like to allow 90 minutes so then we really have the opportunity to create a lot of change. And this can easily be like on a Zoom, on yes. a remote yes. connection. Yeah. And and if it was going to be like a, a, a string of sessions, is there like an optimum time between them or something you need to do to supplement it? So ideally, um, I would always say leave at least a week or two in between them because you want to see the change. You want to experience that things are different. And also, you want to put your action steps into action, so to speak. Because it's And it's the same with hypnosis. Um, changing your belief system is one thing, implementing a new belief. But then you have to give yourself and your subconscious mind the opportunity to actually bring this new belief into your life experience. And, you know, easiest thing, if you want to stop smoking, for example, then you kind of really have to stop smoking in a sense. And um, you can't know if that's worked if you come back the next day. Yeah, is, so, it, is it maybe like 28 days or something to form a habit? Is it something like that? Yeah, well, in hypnosis, we say three weeks. Yeah, you get a recording where you have to listen to the recording for three weeks every day. Again, the mind learns by repetition. That's the kind of thing for the hypnosis where you, you listen to it, at, for example, at night before you go to bed, and it just really implements in your subconscious mind a new way of thinking. Uh, with Psyche, that works differently, faster, because we're working directly on that energy level. You also um, implement new beliefs, and they are there. And we can, the, the interesting thing about Psyche is that we can actually also test, because we use muscle testing, and we can check 
if you hold a certain belief or if you don't hold a certain belief or even after a balance, if, if your body now gives us a different answer. So that I find that super interesting always. This is like the... Yeah. Can yeah, you... This, yeah. this blew my mind. <laughs> yes. So I, I, I was aware of it mm -hmm. um, and I always thought, this is bullshit. Mm -hmm. Like, come on. And um, I had a guy in, I've had him in a couple of times called Rob, who's the first episode that got taken down mm -hmm. off of YouTube. And um, he's a he's an alternative therapist. He's got various um, things that he does that are not legal and not, you know, <laughs> frowned upon, let's say. Mm -hmm. But he was, he was talking about energy testing. And he was saying, oh, you know, like when you're getting your supplements or whatever, just like do the energy test. I was like, what, what do you mean? Because I... You know, in my way of thinking, this was this was early on. This was like episode ten, right? Mm -hmm. I haven't had all these good conversations yet. So again, you know, my my way of thinking was that it, you know, maybe like you have to rub it on your hand or whatever, and then see what happens. Mm -hmm. Blah blah. So he said, um, he said, well, no, for example, like um, he had he bought his old bag full of stuff with him. He said, hold that. So I, I picked up this jar of something. He said, put your hand out. pressed on my hand. He said, You're, this is fine. You can use this. Mm -hmm. I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, um, he rubbed me through his bag and he said, oh, hold this. Give me this in, in a glass bottle with a lid on whatever. Mm -hmm. And goes straight down. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hang on a minute. Mm -hmm. how, how does this work? <laughs> and he said, yeah, it's just, you know, again, it wasn't even like in too much detail. It's like, that's got an energy field. Yes. It interacts with your energy field. If they're not really happy, you, your hand it's, goes down. Exactly. You get a weak response. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's the same for us in, in Psyche. So we can basically check if your subconscious mind agrees with a certain belief. You say out a certain belief and we can check if your, if your energy says yes to, or, or agrees to this belief. And if it doesn't agree because you hold a different belief, then you have a weak response. And then you know, okay, now let's implement this belief. And after the balance, then we check again. So would you do that at the beginning? We check uh, for every belief that we want to implement, absolutely. But also for the stress, we can check before whether your your response is showing that, yes, you are stressed about this, you are not whole-brained about this, you cannot objectively think about this uh, situation, this stressful memory without getting triggered. And then we'll do the balance. And afterwards, you'll see that you have a strong response because you can now think, you're now whole-brained about that situation or you hold that belief and your subconscious says, yes, I do believe I am lovable or whatever the belief is that we wanted to implement. And how, how do you do the muscle testing if, if you're remote? Mm -hmm. So this will be interesting for you again. We have a process called surrogation. And so I would go into surrogation, which means I'll connect with your energy system and I can do the muscle testing for, for your, on your behalf while you're somewhere else in the world. And you will do the balances. You will go into whole brain position and kind of do the balances, the processes, to and experience the how the stress relieves and all of these things. And then I'll do the muscle testing on your behalf then afterwards. How, how did you learn to do that? Because you've got to feel it, right? Yeah. How do you... Practice. You learn it and you... Um, so is it is like when you're learning it, mm -hmm. is it like a process where they say first... you? go into this state and then you do this and, do, and mm -hmm. then you have to just keep doing it, keep mm -hmm. doing it until you feel... Yeah, there are different ways of muscle testing for yourself. There are, I mean, if you really can't do the muscle testing, you can use a pendulum. If you want to use a pendulum that and learn which what, what, what swing means yes and what means no. 
Um, there are so many and so many different uh, modalities use muscle testing in different ways, and um, it's just a matter of becoming sensitive in a way and becoming like what I explained earlier when I had this experience when I channeled a dead person. If I hadn't done this course, it would have meant nothing to me. What I experienced was like nothing, but because I was doing it with a certain attention and with a certain awareness, I perceived something where I still didn't know the meaning of it. Only when I opened my eyes or when I had said to my partner at the time, well, this is what I experienced, it doesn't make any sense, she gave meaning to it because she gave me feedback. Because the message that I got through my body was not for me, it was for her. Remember when her mother kind of gave her a message. And that's kind of how it works because that's when I understood what I experienced, what I perceived, which I normally wouldn't have given any meaning to because I couldn't understand it, it meant something. Do you know what I mean? Yes, so, and that's that's the process of kind of learning. When you do muscle testing, you um, you obviously you ask questions and you you test for, for certain things and you learn. You, you you kind of create a certain sensitivity. And some people can do it by rubbing their fingers because they kind of notice whether it's easy, slippery or it's kind of st sticky. It doesn't rub anymore. That doesn't work for me. And you can do it with other things. You can do a sway test where you stand and you either sway to the front or you sway to the back for a no and stuff. So there's different ways and you'll just find out what works best for you, which kind of language of your body you can best understand. Yeah, Beth, who's the energy healing lady who I had on, she clicks, mm -hmm. and, she, and and I couldn't even tell the difference. Like mm -hmm. she's like, no, no, it hasn't gone. Hang on, let me do it again. Okay, it's, mm -hmm. and I was, you know, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's blowing my mind. But, it, but this, this this that reminds me um, of something that I wanted to ask you about the um, the channeling mm -hmm. experience that you had. So, do you think that you were channeling the dead mother, or do you think you were? getting the, the, the energy and the memory from the woman that you were interacting with? No, it was from the mother. Because, don't forget, I didn't know anything about that woman. I mean, I'd never met her before. But, but she must have that, that memory, right? Well, she, she may, have the, yeah, may have the memory, absolutely, but she wouldn't have had the memory of, uh, of how her mother felt, what, what her mother wanted, the body feeling. She wouldn't have known how that would have felt, I suppose. I mean, She could have. Okay. Could have, could have projected it. I mean, I just, I just wonder whether you, whether you feel no, it's, it was a channeling of the other, mm -hmm. the mother, or it's a, it's a bit like you know you're um, doing the remote muscle testing that you now do. That was almost that kind of experience where you're able to, because because there's this there's this um, concept which I've never done, but a friend of mine um, went and did uh, Tony Robbins NLP course. 30 years ago, I remember him telling me about it. And he, he went and did, you know, they do that whole long weekend. They mm -hmm. end up walking across the hot coals and do all of that, all of that stuff. And he, and he said it was incredible. But he said there was one exercise that they did where you model the other person. Mm -hmm. So, like, you sit kind of like that with a partner. And then I, I kind of observe, observe everything you're doing and I kind of model exactly how you're sitting there. Mm -hmm. And he said, we'll do this and we just sort of sit for like five, ten minutes and you just kind of look at your, the other person. And then you start telling them all kinds of things that, that just come to you. Like, you know, you, you like football and you whatever, you want to travel, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, whatever these things are. And so I wonder whether, whether you feel that it was... It was her energy, or it was, was. Did it have a different feeling? Maybe that's the way to ask the question. 
did it have a different feeling channeling the mother than it normally does when you connect with a partner when you're doing the site k and you do that remote muscle testing type of thing yeah that was definitely a different feeling i mean don't forget when i did that channeling thing it's also um you invite that spirit i mean it's it's, it's a different process that was more a heart-centered process and it was a very physical experience that i had on in that in that moment it was really um yeah I could really feel it, put it this way, which, whereas with, uh, um, when I do muscle testing on behalf, and I just, because I just connect with your energy being, so to speak. It's like when you do a remote connection with your computer, like, you know, you know, you can set up your computer, and then when you have your laptop, and, and you dial into your computer in a sense, you know, you use yeah. that, and then you see, and you can use the, you can move the mouse on the other computer. Yeah, yeah. And that's more, that's, the psyche is more like that, where um, I don't necessarily feel anything that you would be feeling or doing or anything. I really just do the muscle testing, and the muscle test is either strong or weak. So how do you how do you do you have a how do you know when you're connected, and do you connect straight away? So say we did a Zoom call or whatever, mm -hmm. and it's the first one we've ever done. And I say I want to I have a belief system like I'm never going to have a lot of money, whatever. Mm -hmm. What what what's the process then from that initial sort of mm -hmm. So we have a process where we um, set this up, which I can't tell you what I what I do then there, but there is a process where we set this up. Then we have a process where we check whether the connection is established or not. But before we that even do, before we do before we even do that, um, we even ask whether it's safe and appropriate to connect with you in both directions. So I'll check if it's safe and appropriate for you to have me be your surrogate, but I'll also check if it's safe and appropriate for me to be your surrogate. So and basically, and like I said, it's, it's a very energetic thing because we're dealing with energies, we're dealing with your subconscious and, and your superconscious mind and my superconscious and my subconscious mind, and we're getting answers that say, yes, it's safe or no, it's not safe. We do this for every balance where we check, is it safe and appropriate? Is it okay to balance for this goal now? And I've even had a no come up there that it wasn't safe and appropriate to balance for a certain belief that somebody wanted to implement. And then it's like, oh, that's interesting. So at the moment, your system, your super and subconscious are telling us, no, you can't have this belief. So what is it that we could do? What do we need to do first before we can implement a belief? I mean, I don't remember what it was in her case. Something to do with... with um, being free from any pain, I think it was specific pain, and we had to find out first, well, what else needs to happen so that you can, for example, feel safe without having this pain or anything. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's a, in that sense, it is a bit of woo-woo, what you said that I you do on this. <laughs> and it's a lot to do with, um, I, I wouldn't say you have to trust it, but I trust it, and because I've seen the results, that's the thing. You kind of go along with it, and... That's also when I said to you in 2016, when I first saw Psyche, I was like, uh-uh, can't work, this is woo-woo. That's what I called it, it was woo-woo and can't work. Then I've had all these other experiences where I have, in hypnosis, as I said, people on the other side of the world, uh, in hypnosis, we do regression. So I would sit there and then in my own mental eye, I would have a certain image that I saw while I'm waiting for the client to tell me what she sees. And then the next moment she starts describing exactly what I've just seen. And I'm like, that's weird. 
it's really cool, but it's really weird. But because th those are the moments when I learned we are in a connection, even though I've just put this other woman into hypnosis, but we are connected. We are, because when I hypnotize people, it's like to a certain degree, you go with your client into hypnosis. You kind of enter a different level of communication with your, I mean, that's that's just my experience of having done work with over 100, or maybe 150, 200 clients. You kind of connect with them. And when I had this experience that I'd seen basically her experience already, I was like, wow, this is just amazing. And But you can't, I can't tell you the reality of this experience because it's only something that I've experienced and I, I don't know how to share to just tell you that this was really real. But when once you had this experience of it being real, it changes your understanding of how this connection works, how this energy reality really is a real thing. And for me, I believe I needed to have those different um, experiences to now really understand how Psyche can really work. Because like I said, in 2016, when I first saw it, I was like, nah, can't work. And now it's like, it's exactly what I've been looking for. Because it does everything that hypnosis does just so much faster. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't have, I would never have said that in 2016. I wasn't ready for that because I, I didn't understand and I hadn't experienced the reality of, of our energy beings. Yeah, it's the, is this, the, I think the kind of cheesy saying is that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Have you seen the movie Contact, the one with Jodie Foster? It's an old movie. I think I have, but I don't build, remember it. They, build, they, get the, they get the plans for like this interdimensional portal, mm -hmm. and then they build, it's, she gets in that silver kind of sphere, mm -hmm. drops. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's, a, it's a really good movie because... It's, so it's, it's, she's running this project called SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Life with the big radar mm -hmm. dishes. And she's just like a kind of a dorky scientist. and mm -hmm. she, She's just doing that and that's her thing. And then one day they get this message, which is like a set of pulses and they're like, and then it repeats itself and everyone starts freaking out. And they're trying to figure out what does it mean and da da da. And then they, they, they work out that basically it's a blueprint mm -hmm. to build a machine. Mm -hmm. So they build this machine and... Um, she's she's very she's a science person so she's really grounded in like the measuring of everything mm -hmm. you know? she's saying no the, the blueprints are like this and we've got to do da, da, da. and she's she's at the same time she's kind of having this relationship kind of relationship with uh matthew mcconaughey who's a religious kind of good guy religious mm -hmm. leader he's like mm -hmm. a, i don't know if he's a christian evangelist something or other and his whole thing is about that kind of beliefs and god and the universe and whatever and and they're always kind of she's always bumping into him about the the measuring and the science and the this and the that and then spoiler alert if you haven't seen it just <laughs> skip ahead like two minutes so they build this machine she goes in it she uh gets transported to this beach which is a beach that she used to play on when she was a kid and she re-meets her father who died when she was young and she has a conversation with him and she gets over stuff that she never dealt with and then she comes back to reality and this she's in this metal ball that, that, that drops and it drops in the water and they take her out and she, she's like oh my god that was amazing and they're like nothing happened what it didn't work. And she's like, what do you mean? They show her the video, this ball, it just drops that she's in, straight into the water, two seconds. But she's had this 12-hour experience. 
And then the one who believes her is the Matthew McConaughey character mm -hmm. because he's like, mm -hmm. this is belief, right? You don't have to measure it. You just kind of know. So I think this is kind of what you're saying. Right? Oh, yeah. Only when you feel it, you know it's real. If other people want to be part of that or not be part of that, like so be it. I can maybe give you one example maybe that will show you how it works. Uh, during the training, I did um, what we call a relationship balance. We do uh, A relationship balance is basically to balance the, the, the relationship between you and somebody else. And normally you would do it, for example, if you do it for a couple, like my trainer at the time said, he does it with his wife every year because basically just so that they really are aligned and balanced and, you know, life changes us and we kind of go different ways and then you do a balance and you're absolutely, you know, attuned to each other again. So that's the idea for this balance. And um, this is a bit woo-woo now, but anyway, I'll tell you. You can do this relationship balance also with uh, people who are not alive anymore because their energy, right? And um, I chose, because as I mentioned, maybe not too much, but my, I didn't have a great relationship with my father. Ever since I was a teenager, we didn't have, we didn't speak to each other anymore because both of us thought attack is the best defense. So we would just attack each other with words and um, it wasn't a good relationship. And then he was, um, yeah, he died in 20, 2001. And um, so on this course, I said to this other woman, then, would you, can I do this? Can I do the relationship balance with my father? But he's dead. And she's like, yeah, we, we will check if it's safe and appropriate. We can do this. And so the other also training to be a psyche facility lady, she went into surrogation for my father. And she knew nothing about my father. I just said, is it possible? Can we do this? Because I kind of wanted to sort out this kind of bad, you know, bad relationship at the end and kind of wanted to make sure that we kind of get on, on a good on a good thing, good terms. And um, so she checked, yes, it was safe and appropriate for her to be in, in, in surrogation and it was safe and appropriate for my father to have her be the surrogate. And so she's, she goes into surrogation and the first thing she does was like, <gasps> and, you know, <gasps> and I said, what's wrong? Are you okay? And she's like, yeah, it's just so heavy to breathe. That's like, oh, <gasps> Wow, give me a moment. It's like as if something heavy is on my chest. And I was like, okay, are you sure you want to go ahead? And she's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then she kind of acclimatized and it was fine. And we, and I was, I was just like, you know, oh my God, what's happening here? And then we did the balance and we kind of balanced each things out, which was really nice when you are weak in a balance. So for example, I could, you can tell the other person what you would like to have heard or what you like to would, would like to hear from them. So I said to my father, I would like to hear, I love you, because I've never heard that from him in my life. And interestingly enough, he also tested weak, so he was allowed to choose what he wanted to say. And then this lady said, I think he wants to hear, I forgive you. And I was like, okay, interesting, I'll do that. And so we did the balance and it felt really amazing. It's, it's a very, very, it's an amazing process. You stand very close to each other and you look into the other person's eyes and you connect on a level that is deeper than your eyes, deeper than your soul, deeper than you can even imagine. And you really go somewhere really deep. And it's a beautiful balance. And uh, came to a wonderful end. It was all great. And then at the end, I told her, I said, when you went into surrogation and you did this, I mean, I didn't tell you this, but my father had an autoimmune disease. 
and all his inner organs had grown to two, three times the size, and they could control all the organs, like heart and liver and all of that, but the only organ they couldn't control were his, were his lungs, and he actually suffocated. He died by because he couldn't breathe. So when she kind of had this reaction, I was like, oh my God, this is like scary. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that's that was my experience of how surrogation can apparently also be quite drastic in a sense. Mm. I mean, she was a psyche facilitator for a longer time. This, this was on the advanced course. I was just like, my God, this is um, spooky, but cool. Because, you know, again, it's spooky, but I thought, how cool? Because she didn't know anything about my father. How could she have reacted this way yeah. and have this physical kind of response to going into into surrogation? So that really told me, yeah, there is something about this that is really, really true. And and there's one question that occurs to me about that. So if if we assume the premise of reincarnation and coming back, would if let's say you you are reincarnated, is it still possible to connect for someone else to connect to your previous incarnation? interesting question and i think so yes because i think i mean this is kind of widening the topic now because in reality if you really want to go into this thing then there is no time there is no space and if there is no time then there's not reincarnation there's just parallel incarnations or not and really all there is is energy that is expressed in either parallel worlds or subsequent worlds and there are even people who say that, you know, one soul can be incarnated up to seven times, where I personally think, well, why would it be seven times? It's like, I don't I don't know if that's true or not, but I have read books to that who say, that say this. But I just think, yes, you can connect, because you connect to the energy. That's what you're connecting with. And it's not just the energy of the person, of the incarnated person, because what is your soul, your spirit, your essence is energy. And that energy is timeless. In my understanding, that energy is what is. That is source. It's one spark. It's one. It's part of source. And that is eternal. So whether it's incarnated in the medieval times or whether it's med incarnated now or whether it's incarnated in 200 years' time, it's always that same energy. Or whether it was on a different planet in a different life. Who knows? I think that's a nice place to... Draw it to a close. <laughs> is there is there something else that I should have asked you that we should have talked about that we didn't? Anything else you wanted to, to cover? No, I found this very interesting. So I, I hope there was something interesting in it for you. That was fascinating. <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite difficult sometimes to have such sort of good conversation and then still be thinking, okay, it's a podcast, I'll keep to the microphone, you know, mm -hmm. because you think, sometimes you think, oh, I'd like to just sit here for two minutes just quietly and just like chew that over and then carry on, but you know, mm -hmm. need to keep the conversation flowing. So let me, I've got three questions that have got nothing, well, they, they kind of have got to do with this, but, mm -hmm. but it's, you know, not directly. So one, one of the, I, I've started asking three questions to everyone who comes on the podcast. And I've, I asked, I asked David. Um, so, so one of the questions I changed because normally it's it's a it's a fighting question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I will change that question to be: if you could have dinner with one person, living or dead, who would you choose? Jesus. What would you eat? 
I don't know, I probably wouldn't even eat. I would just want to talk with him and sit next to him and just ask many questions. Do, do, is there something specific or you just would want to talk? I would just want to know what's it like to be always in union with your father and know that the spirit is always with you. What do I need to, what is the feeling that I'm still not recognizing? Because I know God is always, I'm, I am one expression of God. But what is it that I'm missing that really lets me know this? What is this one sensation? How do you know? Okay. Question number two <laughs> is, if you were trapped in a TV show for a month, mm -hmm. what would you choose? Is that kind of being in the show or watching a show? or No, being in it. Be oh, mm. Could, can I be like in Planet Earth with David Attenborough? Is that a TV show? Yeah, no, you want no. like a, uh, a made-up one. I mean, you can, you can choose that if you like, but... Well, then I want to be in Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, 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 okay, <laughs> I can see that, that fits. Uh, and then the last question is, you can have 10 million pounds in cash right now, but you're being chased by a snail. If the snail touches you, you die a horrible death. The snail cannot be killed... The snail cannot be stopped. The snail knows where you are at all times and it has only one purpose, which is to get to you. Would you take the money? No, this snail has superpowers and I need to have a stress-free life. <laughs> so, um, let me put my laptop down. Um, your social media, you're on Instagram. Yes. On Instagram, it's tanyasperling.com, all written out, like, you know, D-O-T-C-O-M at the end. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, Facebook and other places? Yeah, on Facebook, I am also just Tanya Sperling, um, hypnotherapist, uh, life coach, hypnotherapist, and preferred psyche facilitator. And I have a website also, very simple, tanyasperling.com. And Tanya, just with a Y, and then all in one word. Yeah, so I'll put, I'll put links for those in the show notes. And um, what's the best way for people to contact you if people want to get in touch and book something in? So on, on all social media, just send me a message. Um, or on the website, there's a form where you can send me an email. And I usually respond, I aim to respond within 24 to at least, at the longest 48 hours, but normally within 24 hours I will respond. And, and what's the kind of booking schedule? How far ahead can, will people need if they want to... You know, so I'm... With booking, like I'm always booked up the week or up to the next week, so that's kind of like how far ahead I'm always booked two weeks in advance. But then, like the third week, the third week from now on, so to speak, that's always easy to book in then. And are you, will you be doing it right through Christmas and holidays? And yeah, yeah, yeah. I also work on weekends because you know that's the thing. Most people who kind of have a nine to five job then don't really want to kind of uh, do something like this after the, their work hours. So I'm I'm very happy also to do sessions on the weekend. Or at times, like in the evening and stuff. So that's I'm very flexible with that. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for coming in. You're very welcome. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you stayed with us all the way through, I know everyone's time is precious. So I appreciate you spending some time with us. Follow the show on Instagram is the best place at White Basement Pod. Everywhere that you listen to podcasts, you can find it. A new show every Tuesday morning at 5 a.m. And we'll catch you next time. If you don't deserve my love, you won't get it, no credit. Me over once and regret it, yeah, I said it. Feelings I 
and emotions, I can shed it, re-edit I'm running from my past, share a legacy through the pellets I'm running round my brain, trying to find the nearest exit These think they're higher, but I'm killing off the Senate Call my life a movie, put up just on the credits In hindsight, you won't get no limelight, need to get my mind This podcast is sponsored by Enriched Now if you're a regular listener to the show then you'll know that I'm not a big fan of Big Pharma. So I do everything I can to try and stay out of their sickness subscription system. And a key component in my daily arsenal is a dose of what I'm calling the White Basement Lion King Super Stack. First, Chugga Mushroom, known as the King of Mushrooms for a reason. Its potent antioxidant, antiviral, immune-supporting properties make it the most studied medicinal mushroom on earth. And although there can be only one king, the king wears a mane, a lion's mane. Brain-boosting, neuron-sharpening, cognition-enhancing, lion's mane is the perfect partner for King Chaga and the second half of the Lion King Super Stack. For me, it's the perfect start to my day helping me to go hard and go home. Go to enriched.co, that's E-N-R-I-C-H-D.co and use the discount code WhiteBasementPod to get a 10% discount site-wide. Start your day like a king. Go to Enriched and grab the Lion King Super Stack now. <laughs>